James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach. Father God, we thank you that you are a generous God. We ask that you might graciously give us wisdom for life this evening. And we know that we so often lack it. But please help us to learn from you. Amen. Now let me start off this evening uh, by asking you to imagine some hypothetical situations. Put yourself uh, in these situations. Uh, What would you feel like? Uh, Imagine this. Uh, You thought you had the school English prize for this year in the bag. Uh, You've been working for it all year. Uh, Everybody said uh, it was uh, going to go to you. But then you find out that your best friend got the prize. Oof, that would be painful, wouldn't it? Uh, are you pleased for them? Uh, was there a bit of grumpiness, a bit of envy there? Or imagine this, uh, a few of you are uh, scouted by Newcastle United at school, uh, and you're told that someone in the group is going to get taken on into the academy, uh, and they could make the main team within two years. And then your twin brother gets in, and not you. Imagine that. How would you feel? Uh, Or maybe one for for those who are a bit older. You've been wanting that promotion at work for a while. Uh, It seems like it's going to happen this year. But then you're passed over for the person sitting next to you in the office. How do you cope with that? What thoughts go through your head? Someone once said uh, that a true friend rejoices in your successes. But it's so easy for what we do to be motivated by envy, isn't it? Uh, It changes how we think or how we act. Uh, It can drive us. Uh, Sometimes we hardly even recognize it, but it's there in the background, motivating us. Uh, It's maybe one of the reasons we get so busy and driven. Uh, We want to at least keep up with those around us. Uh, Or maybe we want to be the best. And that can lead to twisted motives, can't it? It can lead us to seeking to undercut others rather than lift them up. Uh, And sadly, it can even lead to oppressing others, uh, which is where our preacher starts this chapter. Uh, Do you see that in verse 1? We've been getting to know uh, this preacher uh, over the last few weeks, haven't we? Uh, He's looking at the world and he's asking big questions. Uh, He talks of uh, surveying, looking at life under the sun. Uh, by which he just means life in this world. He wants to engage our minds. He wants to make us think deeply about life and ourselves and God and the world around us. Uh, And he isn't shy, is he, about confronting us with the big questions. And the preacher starts off this chapter on a difficult note. Uh, He starts by surveying all the oppression that there is in the world. Do you see that in verse 1? He says... Again, I saw all the oppressions that are done under the sun. And behold, the tears of the oppressed. And they had no one to comfort them. On the side of their oppressors, there was power. Uh, It's very modern in some ways, isn't it? Uh, There's so often a power imbalance in life. uh, And those without the power or wealth are oppressed. Uh, And many of them don't even have anyone to comfort them. Uh, I don't know if you remember back to um, June uh, 2020. Uh, maybe you recognize this picture. Hopefully it's coming up. There we go. Uh, do you remember that? There was a big uprising in Bristol against Edward Colston. Uh, his statue was pulled down, defaced, uh, and it was chucked into the harbor in Bristol. 
And then there was this big debate about what they were going to do with it. Should they put it back? Should they put it into a museum? Uh, and uh, actually what they did in the end was they um, put it on its side in a museum, uh, which um, seems slightly odd at the time. But actually, I think it's um, quite a powerful, emotive bit of art, isn't it? Um, maybe you're wondering who on earth Edward Colston is. Um, but Edward Colston was someone who made it. Uh, he was incredibly successful. Uh, the city uh, built a statue for him because he was such a great Bristol man. Yet there's no doubting that Edward Colston built his success and wealth uh, through slave trading. His success was off the back of the oppression of others. Uh, and it would be foolish, wouldn't it, to think that all that was just back then. Uh, I think we often don't really want to see the realities of the world sometimes, do we? Uh, it gets uncomfortable. Uh, the people trafficking, uh, the sweatshops making clothes with child labor, the modern-day slavery, uh, when you hear of people dying in lorries, when you think of children sent down into mines or into slave work, uh, sex work, uh, when you think about all the oppressions under the sun like the preacher, uh, it's hard not to despair. He says, verses 2 and 3, that for many of those people, it, it feels like it would have been almost better for them to die or to even not have been born. And it's bleak, isn't it? Uh, but here's what the preacher says. He says, don't look away. Uh, you need to see what is driving this. Now, do you see that in verse 4? Uh, we're going to very much work our way through the passage tonight. Uh, verse 4, uh, Then I saw that all toil and all skill in work come from a man's envy of his neighbor. Uh, this also is vanity and a striving after the wind. I don't think he's um, just moving on to a different topic here. Uh, what he has said is linked to what comes before. He says, look, everybody is trying to get a leg up in life. Uh, what causes people to oppress others? So often it's envy, isn't it? Uh, it's a striving for success or for wealth. It's wanting to have what others have uh, or to get to the top of the pile. And whilst we might think, uh, I would never do that, I would never get involved with people trafficking. Uh, if we're honest, uh, in our own hearts, uh, we're often driven by seeing what others are doing or what things others have, aren't we? Uh, and maybe we are even helping to drive some of that oppression, uh, whether it's through our, our drive for comfort and trying to buy everything as cheap as possible, uh, or through accessing pornography or something else. But envy and rivalry are, are so often the fuel that makes the world go round, isn't it? Or aren't they? Uh, even within the church, we're prone to this. Uh, it's our natural inclination. We, we chase after things, uh, like those outside the church. Uh, or we even chase positions and prestige within the church. And here's the terrible thing. The preacher shows us that this striving mindset, uh, it doesn't just oppress and put others down even. Uh, it's actually oppressive even for those who are successful. Uh, this constant striving becomes an oppressive burden. Uh, verse 4, uh, the preacher says, uh, this toil is a striving after the wind. Uh, you'll never get there. You can't ever quite grasp it. Uh, you're never satisfied. 
that there's always someone else with more or someone else doing better. Or uh, you, you make it to the top, you get there. But you start to live in fear that you're going to fall from the top or you're going to lose it all. Um, I'm sure many of you know uh, Rita Ora. She's uh, super successful, isn't she? Uh, she had three singles reach number one in one year. Uh, she's won loads of awards. Uh, she's worth $30 million at age 30. Uh, she's doing all right. Uh, but she was on the, uh, the Diary of a CEO podcast, um, and she said this, uh, I was on a roller coaster, living my dream. But then when I would wake up, it would be sil like silent, and it wouldn't feel nice. Certain things, uh, not positioning chart-wise how you wanted, uh, or making decisions that may not have been right, mistakes being made, they make me feel broken. It makes me feel like everything I've done is about to disappear and take me back to the fear of losing everything. When the world is looking at you, you get so fearful. So what's the answer? If our motivations are so often twisted, uh, and it's so often a striving after the wind. It might be tempting to think we should just give up. I'm just going to head home, actually. No, that's not the answer. Do you see what the preacher says next in verse 5? It's like he's had that very thought, isn't it? Should you just give up? But he writes, verse 5, The fool folds his hands and eats his own flesh. He's saying, no, the answer isn't to give up. Folding your hands, doing nothing, it'll just bring ruin on yourself. It's a bit gross, but it's like eating your own flesh. The fool is a, a drain on others. Uh, we're not to just sit and be idle all our days. So what is the answer? Let's carry on to verse 6. The preacher says, Better is a handful of quietness and two hands full of toil and a striving after wind. He says, don't grasp for two handfuls. Don't strive excessively. Learn to be content with one handful. Be content with what you have and what God has given you. Now, we aren't to do nothing. Now, the Bible says we have a duty to do what we can. We're to seek justice when we see injustices and oppression. Uh, we're to work when we are able to work. But we shouldn't be naive in thinking that if we strive hard enough, if we really try hard, we can make a paradise on earth. Now, we can't do everything. Only God can. Uh, and thankfully, he has promised that he will bring about uh, that day when there will be an end to oppression and there will be justice. But here's what we definitely can do. Here's what we can do. We can seek to change ourselves with the help of God's Spirit. And we can seek to change ourselves first before we seek to change the world. Paul writes uh, to Timothy in the New Testament. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Now that is where great gain truly lies. Godliness with contentment. Back in the book of uh, Leviticus in the Old Testament, um, we read of God uh, speaking to his people, uh, and he speaks against oppression, and he says, you shall not oppress your neighbor or rob him. You shall do no injustice in court. Uh, you shall not hate your brother in your heart. 
uh, and he concludes like this, but you shall love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Now, that's the very opposite of envy, isn't it? Love your neighbor. Thinking just me is a self-destructive way to live. It's oppressive. And God calls us to a better way, a so much better way. We're to do life together. Now, that's what the preacher here in Ecclesiastes goes on to show us next. Have a look at the next verse, verse 7. He says, again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil. And his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and an unhappy business. Uh, the most likely scenario here seems to be um, someone who, who doesn't have immediate family, uh, and so they throw themselves into work and toil, trying to be satisfied there. But they're never satisfied. Uh, and they don't take the time to stop and think, who am I doing this for? Why am I toiling like this? Uh, their work is, is isolating them and cutting them off from others. Uh, if you've ever watched Friends, uh, then you'll know that uh, they're very rarely isolated. They seem to spend their whole time together. It uh, looks great, doesn't it? Just um, all their time in that flat or at the cafe. Um, but uh, I wonder who your favorite friend's character is. Surely there's only one who it can be. It's got to be Chandler, surely. Uh, Chandler is great. Uh, he was actually voted the number two funniest character ever on TV, apparently. Um, but sadly, uh, the guy who played Chandler, Matthew Perry, uh, you probably know that he passed away recently. Uh, he was incredibly funny, he was incredibly successful, um, but even with that, um, he seemed very unhappy and lonely, uh, even with all that success and wealth. Uh, and yet, I think uh, he had some insights. Uh, here's what he once said, when I die, I know people will talk about friends, friends, friends. When I die, as far as my so-called accomplishments go, it would be nice if friends were listed far behind the things I did to try to help other people. Now, I know it won't happen, but it would be nice. He realized that there is more to life than success. Uh, life is to be marked by friendship and community rather than toiling for yourself in a way that brings isolation and misery. Uh, it's what the preacher points us to in the next verses, verses 9 to 12. He writes, verse 9, two are better than one. Uh, and in the verse 12, three is even better. Uh, a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Uh, he points to the benefits of doing life together in community. Uh, you can share the rewards and success, uh, even if there is less. Uh, you can look out for one another. There's warmth and there's security together. We have to live in relationship with others. Uh, and that is just as true in the Christian life. Uh, we aren't to be a lone Christian. Uh, we're called to be Christians together. Uh, there's a form of Christianity, isn't there, that's uh, all about me and Jesus and nobody else. Uh, but Jesus loves his people uh, and he wants us to love them too. 
And not only that, not only that, uh, but we are repeatedly warned that there is great danger uh, in trying to follow Jesus all on our own. Uh, Gathering together like this, like we are this evening, uh, is a great blessing, uh, but it's also an essential blessing. We need it. Uh, We need it to keep going as Christians. Uh, And if we want to be uh, self-sufficient, if we want to be the person who goes on their own, uh, then the Bible warns us that we're making a great mistake. Uh, We need to play our part in the shared Christian life. And we need to do that for others, uh, but also for ourselves. Uh, And the big question uh, we have to ask isn't, um, how am I doing? Uh, How is this serving me? Uh, Am I getting anything out of this? The question is, how are we doing? Uh, How can I serve others here? Who can I love as my neighbor this week? Uh, Will we make the effort to be here even when we don't feel like it for the sake of others? Uh, Will we go along to uh, Encounter tonight or or Midweek Group on Wednesday uh, thinking, how can I serve and love others this week? Uh, Rather than just thinking about whether I'm getting anything out of it. Uh, Or to be even more direct, uh, let me ask you a few questions. Are you a giver or a taker? Are you tempted to fold your arms uh, and do little? Uh, Are you the wrong side of laziness? Uh, And if so, how can you seek to be more of a blessing rather than a burden? Uh, Or maybe you you go the other way. Uh, Maybe you need to ask yourself, Do I put my work before my relationships, and my relationship with God, uh, and my relationships with others? Uh, Do other people suffer because of my striving and my ambition, because I put it before them? Uh, And does my relationship with God suffer because of it? Okay, so hopefully we've got the big message of the passage by now. But just in case you haven't, uh, the preacher gives us one last anecdote or story. Do you see that at the end? Uh, it's a rags-to-riches story, uh, and we all love one of those, don't we? Uh, it's the stuff of Disney movies. Uh, we love the person who goes from um, stacking the supermarket shelves to uh, touring on the big stage uh, with Ed Sheeran. Uh, or we love the, uh, the girl who goes from sweeping the floor in the castle to being the, uh, the princess. And uh, here in verse 13... Uh, The preacher tells us of a a, a poor but a wise young person uh, who contrasts with an old foolish king who doesn't listen. And this young person, in his wisdom and his listening, uh, goes from being poor and even in prison, he goes all the way up to making it to the throne, to being king. He's made it. uh, He's done it. Uh, We're told in verse 16, there was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. Yet, see that yet? (laughs) Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him. Surely this this also is vanity and a striving after wind. Uh, The preacher finishes by saying, look, even if it all comes off uh, and you make it, you become prime minister, uh, you sell out arenas, uh, you get the gold medal or the Oscar, Uh, You become the second funniest person of all time. So what? So what if you haven't invested in loving God 
and loving others. So what if you've missed what is most important in life? People won't rejoice in you for long. Uh, They'll move on. You'll be forgotten. Verse 6, better is a handful of quietness than two hands full of toil and striving after the wind. I remember Paul's phrase, godliness with contentment is great gain. Uh, The greatest gifts you have in life are your relationships, your relationship with God and your relationships with others. Um, What's it going to look like for you personally uh, to listen to the wisdom we've seen tonight? Why don't we just take a moment now to to think that through, to pray that through for ourselves. Uh, Let's just take a moment to, to pray on our own and then I'll pray for us. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Come to me and be satisfied and content. Come to me and love others as I have loved you. Father God, please help us to listen to your voice this evening. Please change our thinking. Please help us to put this into practice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.